This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. If you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we started on this last week. And when you are praying, do not use thoughtless repetition, thoughtless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I just want to go up to that. Um, let me just recap a little bit because I want to touch on some things because it sets context for where we're going. Um, just have to give me a just bear with me sure when Jesus starts us and he starts speaking it's an interesting time because he introduces something that is going to revolutionize people's walks with God Dave can you pull us back a bit prayer is important because prayer does two things it gives us the opportunity to connect with God but it also gives us the opportunity to take what is of him and introduce it to our world words are important if you have a look at the economy of God Words are consequential. And God uses words with intention, not accidentally. When we pray, praying, Dave, sorry, won't you just pull it right back? I don't know what's going on here. When you pray, you're using words. You're using words to express something deeper within yourself. You're using words for connection. So words are consequential. But there's a difference between meaningful words and vain babblings. And Jesus said, be aware of both of them and be alert as to what you're using and why. And he he starts off and he says, if you want to know how to pray, let me give you some insight. And he starts off by saying, our Father. And we spoke last week about how consequential that was because it was something that was a dynamic paradigm shift from where people had been. We forget that people who were living under the Old Testament were living legalistically. They were living in a place where God had given them commandments and laws. And they were living by the laws. And they were living in a way that they wanted to understand who God was through what they had read. They wanted to understand what God's design was for, for their life from what they had read. And they were trying to conform their lives to what this means. But what they discovered was, in trying to do those things, they weren't able to really do that. They couldn't achieve the mark. They kept falling short. And it's into that context that Jesus comes in and he suddenly says, our father. And what he did was he totally revolutionized the relationship and the nature of the relationship that people would enjoy with God. And suddenly it wasn't something that was based on legalism, it was something that was based on relationship. It was a marked paradigm shift. It was huge. 
God was going back to why we were created. Last night, I was busy working on today and what I wanted to speak about. And Carter came in and he sat down on the bed. just to be with me. Our Father is about just being with Him. We take it for granted because we grow up in this paradigm. But what He was saying to people is, I don't any longer want you to live from the, the, the context of the written law. I just want you to come and be with me so you can hear the spoken word. We still have a church that are more concerned about teaching and learning, more concerned about the book of the month, what the teaching is from the preacher of the month. There's nothing wrong with that. It has context. But if it doesn't lead you to relationship, it's never fulfilled its purpose. We think we don't live by the law, but many people do. Because I've never got to that place. I just want to be with you. And unless you can get to that place of intimacy, you will never hear his voice. I want to talk a little bit about why the voice is so important. There was a big shift that took place because what Jesus was saying to people was, no longer am I looking for you to live from your head. I need for you to live from your heart. The things that I'm wanting to do in your life are things that are going to only be imparted to you and things that you'll only realize as a result of relationship from, with me. But as a result of my words that I speak to you, what you're going to end up happening is I'm going to make some impartations into your life. I'm going to impart some things to you like love. And love is not of your head. Love is of your heart. I'm going to give you some stuff like faith. Faith is not of your head. Faith is of your heart. I'm going to give you joy. And I'm going to give you peace. And I'm going to give you compassion. He's wanting to make impartations to our life that drive the fundamental drivers of who we are. They're things that touch us at the very core of who we are. And it only comes about when I recognize that the relationship that I enjoy with God is not in my head, it's in my heart. If all we're ever doing is reaching God and understanding Him in my head, I'm going to come to a place eventually where I realize that God has left the station. It's not to say that understanding is not important. But he wants to touch us at a level which is deeper than purely knowledge. He wants to touch us with revelation. He's wanting to touch us in our innermost being so that we have a sense of connection and context, so that we have a sense of recognition, so we have a point of connection, so we have a point of love, so we have a point of understanding which transcends purely knowledge. just wants us to come and sit with him 
because we want to be with him. Use, uh, uh, what is it? Um, John, what am I? Where am I? John 5. Yeah, it is John 5, 39 and 40. You search the scriptures for in them you think you'll find eternal life and these are the scriptures that speak of me and yet you do not come to me that you may have life. We spend too much time reading our Bible instead of connecting with the Holy Spirit and Revelation. It's not to say the Bible's not important, but the letter without the Spirit kills. It's the Spirit that brings about transformation. Our Bibles are important because what it does in many ways is it gives us insights and it gives us understanding. It gives us an appreciation for the lives of people who knew what it was to know God. We look at Moses. We look at Abraham. We look at Ruth. We look at Peter, a wild disciple. You look at the life of Jesus. We read about people's lives And it's valuable to us because it gives us a sense of context and it begins to illuminate and begins to show us who God is and it begins to reveal his nature. But really what we're doing is we're reading about their story of their life. Let me ask you, what is the story of your life? You see, the story of your life with God is being written right now. But I can't write the story of my life with God as long as I'm reading somebody else's story. Because I'm not called to be them, I'm called to be me. And in the context of who I've discovered him to be and who I know him to be, when I move to that place where he begins to reveal himself to me and make impartations into who I am, I can take of who he is and I can begin to give expression to a life that is defined by him and me. And I'm starting to write the story of my life. People in the Old Testament didn't have that. You see, in the Old Testament, God really only dealt with the king and with the priest and with the prophets. What Jesus was saying was, things are changing. You don't have to be in that category. He's interested in you. And he wants to meet with you where you are. Daniel 11 verse 32 says, the people who know their God will do great exploits. Will be strong and will do great exploits. Do you know your God? We don't get to know people by reading about them. We get to know them. I just came to spend time with you. Our Father, who art in heaven, He goes straight on from the significance and the importance of relationship. And he begins to speak about the idea that relationship is really two independent entities coming together. When we talk about relationship with God, we're really talking about heaven and earth. You were created in your humanity. You were built in the image of God but you were built for the earth the heavens is about God and his divinity 
And it becomes important for us because what he's saying is, I need for you to understand something. We want to have relationship. And I want to get to that place where we begin to share and we have intimate moments. But it's important for you to be able to define the fact that we are two independent entities that with design should come together. And so he begins to delineate down the middle. And he says... Not only do I want relationship, but I need for you to understand something. I'm on this side of the line. I'm in heaven. What he was saying to him was this. You in your humanity have the ability and the capacity to be able to live in an earthly realm because you were built for it. And there's some things that are yours and there are some things that are mine. And there are some things that you can do and there are some things I can do. And I need for you to understand what is what. Because the things that are mine are holy. What he was saying was, don't try and be me. I don't need for you to try and be a person who is holy. I don't try, I need for you to try and be somebody who is righteous. Those things belong to me. And unless I take of what is mine and gift them to you, you don't get them. You get to appreciate and look and you can enjoy. But the thing about it is, I have to recognize that in the context of relationship, I have to come to him to get some stuff. The divide and the line in that relationship becomes significant because it will redeem us and move us from a place where we won't become works-oriented. Anytime we think that we can do something that is his property, we end up in trouble because we end up in works. He wants us to recognize what's his is his and what's mine is mine. But he says the two are to come together. In God's economy, there was never a separation between heaven and earth. That was created as a result of Adam's fall. But in God's economy, heaven and earth were always together. He's talking about the union of himself, his divinity, and our humanity. Those two things being woven together and coming together as one. And what he's saying is, you are the bonding agent. It's in you that heaven and earth can come together. He wants us to understand that that line is really important. Because what he wants us to recognize is that there are some places in our life where you're going to realize that the only way that I can move beyond the threshold of my limitations is through his gifting, is through his wealth redistribution. When he takes what, of his, what is of him and he gives it to us. And he has a way of doing that. The woman with the issue of blood finds herself in a place where she recognized the fact that she had spent everything that she had on doctors, the people who were the experts of the day, and she couldn't do anything. And she hit the threshold of her natural limitations. I couldn't go anymore. Couldn't do anything more. I've exhausted all my natural possibilities. garment I'll be healed 
there was a point of recognition where she said, I know what I can do and I know what he can do. And I can't do that stuff. But if I can get to the point where I can just touch him, he can take me beyond my threshold. And I can enjoy something and participate in something that I won't get otherwise. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. You were created to be an image bearer. You were created to be an image bearer. You were created to bear the image of him. Who is he? We get to know him through his names. When we talk about his glory, what we're talking about is we're talking about something that in the Greek it refers to it as weighty. It's something that is of importance. It's something that is of significance. I, I understand that. I think my concern with it is, is it doesn't really give the full impact and understanding as to what it's talking about when we're talking about glory. Because what he's essentially speaking about is he's talking, he's talking about the weightiness of it, but it's also the implications. Let me give you an example. Everybody wants to win the lottery. So where's the chance? Very slim. So where's the chance? But why do we want to win the lottery? We want to win the lottery because if you won and you got a hundred million dollars, and that was the payout from the lottery. The thing is, the hundred million dollars is wonderful, and you enjoy it. But the glory of the hundred million dollars is not just the weightiness of what you've got. It's the implications of what it means. It'll change your life. When you get the hundred million dollars, it's weighty and it's consequential because it has implications. I'm not living where I used to live. I'm going to change my address. In fact, I'm not even sure I'm going to work anymore. I'm going to retire and I'm going to go and live by the beach. In fact, I'm going to get a beachfront house. I'm not going shopping anymore. I'll get somebody to go shopping for me. I'm going to change my life and the way that I live. Everything's going to change. Why? Because I got something that I never had before. And it wasn't just the weightiness of what I had realized, but it was the implications and how it translated into a lifestyle transformation that I didn't know otherwise. When we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about it in the same way. He always presents himself to us as, I am that I am. I am the all-sufficient one. And so when he comes and he meets with us and he begins to speak about who he is, he's not only giving you just part of his name, he's giving you his glory. He's giving you an aspect of who he is because it's not just the weightiness of who he is that you're able to take and assimilate into your life, but it has transformational effects in that it affects the output and what, the, what your life begins to look like. Because I just went to spend time with him.
when you spend time with God, be careful because it can totally change your life. Things happen when you go to speak and spend time with God. Because when you go and spend time with Him, you end up chatting. We chat, but God speaks. And when God speaks, new realities are created. I didn't recognize a fresh possibility until he spoke to me. And suddenly I saw something. I saw an opportunity. I saw a way out. I saw salvation. I saw my redemption. I saw where I could go. Not because of me, but because he spoke something to me. And he presented to me a hope and a future. When he speaks, he doesn't just present you with new possibilities and fresh realities. But when you begin to listen to what he says, he actually gives you the substance of those things that you hope for. You see, hope without substance is a pipe dream. But hope with the substance of things hoped hoped for changes everything. I can get some stuff from God which transcends simply a new idea of what my life could look like. What he's giving me is imparting to me of his very substance that says, you know what? I'm not going to leave it to you to make this happen. I want you to come to the threshold. And when you and I speak, I'm going to give you vision. I'm going to open the eyes of your understanding. I'm going to open up possibilities. I'm going to give you new realities. But I'm not only going to give you those things. If you hear what I say, I will give you the substance that will make it happen as well. That's why Paul said, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. What was he saying? It's not me. I knew where the threshold was. I'm writing my story beyond the threshold. Because I'm at a place where I don't want to just live like everybody else. I want to be in a place where I live beyond the threshold. I only get to that space with him. Hallowed produces people that are not common. You are unique. You're distinct. You're extraordinary. Not because you're a religious zealot or you're a know-it-all or you're pious. It's because I've got to the place where the fabric of heaven and earth are being interwoven in my life. And 
all of a sudden, that which is divine and that which is humanity are being woven into one. And it's creating a peculiar tapestry. The reason you're peculiar is not because of you, it's because of him. The reason you're peculiar is because you go out and you live beyond the threshold and people look at that kind of stuff and they say, I don't know how you get to do that. I don't know why you enjoy the favor of, on your life. I don't know why you're at a place where, yes, there are challenges, and yes, there are issues, and yes, there are things that happen in your life, but you're able to step beyond that. Why is it that when your world is crumbling around you, and everything seems dark and I'm entering a valley experience I can still hold on to my joy because I'm peculiar because I recognize that I've got to live beyond the threshold if I want to participate in those things thy kingdom come Thy kingdom come is all about the reign and rule of Christ in my life. What he's saying is, when you come to the place where you want to spend time with me, recognize that we're different, which is wonderful. Because the two are going to become one. And as I begin to share with you, and as I begin to reveal myself to you, you're going to begin to understand what your plan and what your purpose is. And what's going to end up happening is the parts of me that come on the inside of you are moving to a place where they're establishing the reign and rule of what that is in your life. Thy kingdom come. It's that. It's going to position you to live at a place where you overcome the kingdom of darkness. I've got to get the kingdom established on the inside of me. In the Second World War, reached a point where Germany had invaded so much and the only real way to victory was to approach the US forces can you help us out and they looked at it And they said, the thing about it is, it's sovereign territory. We are the US and you Britain. So we'll come and help you. But everything that they had to do, they had to ask permission for. Can we come and do an airbase over here? And Britain said, yes, of course you can. So what did they do? They bring in their airplanes and they bring in their manpower and they bring in their weaponry and they bring in their resources and they bring in their supplies. Everything that they brought in was from the US. They had a little base from which they launched attacks into Europe and was a big part as to why Britain was victorious. The thing is, Britain recognized the fact that that space was not theirs. It belonged to the US. And everything that supported that place came from there, not from us. God is calling us back to this place. Recognize who we are. He's never going to do anything in your life that he never asked permission for. Because you're a sovereign individual. The power of your will is so strong that you can preclude God from working through your life. But he asks you every time 
He has the invitation. Why? Because he's establishing something on the inside of us which is of him, which is not of me. Why? Because it's not me who overcomes the world. It's not me that is able to overcome the kingdom of darkness. It's him. What he's saying is, i got to put some stuff inside of you. I have to establish a kingdom on the inside of you, which is not of you. It's beyond your threshold. It's of me. But if you can move to that place, it positions you in an area where you realize what it is to be victorious and an overcomer. In Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I think from the moment you ever... We had Sunday school when I was about this high. because about 150 years ago. They don't have Sunday school anymore. They have children's church and other stuff. It's one of the first things you learn. But there's something interesting about that verse. It struck me last week. This was the problem man had. Because of Adam, we had sinned. But we really needed eternal life, which is the nature of God. The problem with it is, eternal life and the nature of God never inhabits anything that's sinful. So it's a bit of a catch-22. But Jesus provided a solution. Because in John chapter 14 and verse 20, he's he's speaking about the idea of becoming one. And he says... At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Get this, because it will change your life. Listen to what I'm telling you. This is a big one. We were sinful. And so his nature couldn't come and take a residence within us. And so what happened? I had to go and spend time with him. He met me somewhere. And he gave me something of him, which is called righteousness. I became aware of righteousness and my need as a sinner. What ended up happening is, it says, if you believe in your heart, well, believe that I'm righteous, not because of me, but because of something I discovered that Jesus did. And what ended up happening is, as a result of that, I became righteous because of what he did. Now I'm clean. Now I'm pure. Now I've created a space where I can confess with my mouth the lordship of Christ. And all of a sudden, what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit has a look and says, there's a clean space. We can put our nature in there. We had to clean up first so that he could come in. What ended up happening was, I couldn't do it in and of myself. I had to discover my righteousness in him. And when I discovered my righteousness in him and who he was, I could all of a sudden sit and say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you in. I can now call Jesus Lord because I can have his nature on the inside of me. 
if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. We were built in the image of God. We are spirit, soul, and body. The moment you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, the moment that you were made righteous, you were positionally as righteous as you will ever be. If you die tomorrow, you would be with, you would be with God. Spiritually, that's where you are. The thing about it is, there is such a thing as positional versus experiential. The thing about it, who, I know probably none of you are out here, but the moment that you got born again, did any of you do some stuff that actually you shouldn't have been doing? What happened? There's a discrepancy between positionally where I am spiritually and experientially what I have. And so what God's sitting saying is the same principle applies. The reason that we, we talk about the whole idea of having our mind renewed is because we're at a place where we're sitting saying, my mind is that part which is my will, my knowledge, and my emotions. The essence of those things The heart of those things is what we call the heart. What God is saying is, spiritually, you're absolutely fine. The thing about it is, the same principle applies for getting your mind renewed. What he's saying is, come back to where we are. Every time I reveal something to you, every time I speak to you about an aspect of stepping into holiness, of stepping into who I am, of stepping into health or provision, What he's saying is, I'm not looking for you to do it. Don't try and conform to those things. What he's saying is, what I need for you to do is recognize that everything is available in Christ. And as I discover it in Christ, and I recognize him as my healer, and I believe in my heart, I can confess with my mouth. Because I've created a space for him to come and fill. I'm changing all the time. I'm being made new. The word for transformation in in Romans chapter 12 is metamorphosis. What it's saying is, you can't change who you are so that you look more like me. I have to rely on God to take something which is of him and give it to me. Because when he gifts it to me, when he takes an aspect of who he is, that in and of itself changes me so that I begin to look like that. It's his newness inside of me that is changing me. It's not me. It's living a lifestyle of grace. He provides everything. Thy will be done. In Matthew 26, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be crucified. And he's praying to the Father. And he says these words. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There is a simple but powerful revelation in what he said. God is in charge. God gets to define what truth is. And God gets to define what it is that we step into. 
We get into foolishness and presumption when we go and pray for anything that we want. God never invited us to do that. Prayer should lead you to the garden before it ever put you on the battlefield. If prayer doesn't take you to the garden where you can meet with him and find out his will, you will run out there and you'll pray for all kinds of stuff and God's like, where are you? It's in the garden where I begin to discover what it is that he wants. God is going to put parts in you that define who he is in terms of his nature. I want you to understand what it is that I am your provider in all situations. Glory. We, Jehovah Jireh, we celebrate that. But we to live out of relationship. And so when a challenge comes in that area, don't run out onto the battlefield with your slingshot and your armor and everything else until you got into the garden. Because he's going to speak to you about practically what's presented in front of you and what things look like and how he wants you to navigate that space. And he may tell you to do some stuff that he's not going to tell other people. Why? Because he's interested in you. You are writing your story. Can I say one other thing about a story? Please don't make a doctrine out of your experience. Run your race. People do it all the time. I went and prayed, and they put mud on my eyes, and I was healed. All of a sudden, that's the doctrine for healing. So we have to have buckets of mud every time somebody comes up. He's going to do things in different ways. Sometimes he may just say, lay hands on. Sometimes he'll say, you know what? Go and wash in the river. Other times he may say, don't worry about them. They don't have to come here. Let's just say a word. He can do things in different ways. He is still the God who heals thee. But how he wants to do it in your situation and your circumstance is between you and him. Go into the garden and find his will. When you know what he wants you to do, you will be positioned and empowered to go and do that. On earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 91. Verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my strength. My God, in Him will I trust. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Do you know what the secret place of the Most High is? It's the heart of God. When you make a decision that you just want to go and spend time with Him, what you're saying is, Share with me. And he'll take the things of him and he'll reveal them to you. What is he doing? He's using words. He's creating pictures. Giving you fresh revelation. Opening up potential and opportunities. New realities. 
When you hear his voice, he's imparting substance to you. What is he doing? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. I know who he is. Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What the shadow is? Because I know his heart and because I'm established in his heart, I feel as though he's hovering over me all the time. It's okay, what happens? I'm in the shadow of the Almighty. And in that space, he says, you will live and you will speak. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my strength. In him I will trust. There is a place in our relationship with God when you know who he is and what he's established on the inside of you. For you to take what is imparted and what is on the inside of you and to use the sword of the Spirit and speak into your world. Speak into your circumstance. Speak into your situation. Not what is of you, but something that's been imparted to you which is of him. I can do nothing of myself. I only do that which I see the Father do. What is he saying? I've got a landing base inside of me. It's not about me. Because I've given him authority to come into that space. And what's on the inside of me is of him. And because it's of him, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take what is of him and I'm going to impart it into my situation. I'm going to impart it into my world. And I'm going to live in the expectation of change just as he's changed me. Nobody wants to read a boring book. What makes our books exciting is that we can live beyond the threshold. Make yours exciting. Get to the place where what I've developed most in my Christian life, the thing that is most consequential for me is when I can go and spend time with him. If I don't have that, I don't have anything. My encouragement to you practically for the week is this. Find the secret place. Until you find a secret place, there's no point in getting the teaching of the month. There's no point in taking out your Bible and reading it without the Holy Spirit. Until I've discovered the secret place, all I have is legalism and the written word. But the spirit is conspicuously absent and life is nowhere to be found. The charge for the weak. Get grounded and established in the secret place. Father, I just want to thank you for an incredible people. I thank you for great authors great story writers. I thank you for great stories that fill incredible books. I thank you for people with testimonies, who people who are bold and enthusiastic 
about living beyond the threshold. I thank you for a people that are immersed and find themselves at the most intimate spot where they're living from intimacy with you. I thank you for the power of your words. I thank you that they not only bring fresh revelation, fresh understanding, fresh vision, but they're actually transporters of your very nature and who you are. It's the very substance of you that gives us the ability to step into everything that you're inviting us into. I pray blessing over everyone. I pray favor. I pray goodness. Protection. I want to thank you, Jesus, for world changes. Just before we leave, what I would encourage you to do is this. If you're out there and you've never had a relationship with God, perhaps you've heard a whole bunch about God, but you don't know who he is, but you'd like to meet him, I'd like to encourage you at the end of the service, come up here. There'll be people who have the opportunity to introduce you to him. It'll change your life. It'll introduce you to the secret place. It'll put you at a place where you'll know what it is to live life beyond the threshold. Have a fantastic week.